God's Word reveals truth. God's Word exposes lies. God's Word has the ability to tear down strongholds, and God's Word has the ability to build up your faith. I say that because your expectation needs to be when we go into the Word of the Lord that this is life, that God's going to speak life into your situation, that He's going to give you direction for life. If there's something that needs to be broken down and, 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 and disassembled in your life, the Word of God is able to do that. Amen? If there's something that needs to be built up and, and, and restructured in your life, the Word of God is able to do that as well. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Verse 1 in the New King James Version says this, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when Jesus had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, everybody say always, 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 night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when this man, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And Jesus said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Verse 11 Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged Jesus, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And they began to plead with Jesus to depart from the region." Verse 18, and then when Jesus got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. What a story, amen? What a story. We've been ministering from the word of the Lord on Sunday mornings for some time now about the topic, the theme, one at a time, one at a time. Last week, we were in Luke chapter 18 and Luke chapter 19. We saw how Jesus came into contact with a blind beggar on the way to Jericho and healed this beggar of his blindness, and the beggar got up and followed Jesus. Then, in the very next chapter, as it happened on the very same day, 
that Jesus healed the blind beggar of Jericho. Jesus is walking through the streets of Jericho and is checking the trees for reasons that are beyond what I understand. He's checking the trees, and he catches a glimpse of a man named Zacchaeus who is up in a tree who desperately wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus but felt like he needed to hide and conceal himself from view. Jesus is looking for the one. Jesus is willing to go out of his way for the one. And so this morning, I want to minister about that same type of topic from this text, and my title would be Going Far to Get Close. Going Far to Get Close. You may be seated. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. In the Gospel of Mark, this passage that we just read together from Mark chapter 5 is the most detailed story in Mark. It's the second most detailed, second only to Calvary, and and what the Gospel of Mark tells us about what happened with Jesus and his crucifixion. Aside from the crucifixion, this is the single most detailed story in the entire book of Mark. Mark chapter 1 contains a story of demons being cast out. So this, what we just read together in Mark chapter 5, is the second exorcism story in the gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 1, the first time that we see when Jesus casts out demons, it happens on holy ground in a sacred place. It happens in the synagogue. Jesus himself is standing in the pulpit on the Sabbath day in synagogue. And a demon cries out, and Jesus commands it to be cast out and leave that person. But here in Mark chapter 5, the setting is very, very different. No longer are they in a holy place and a sacred place, but now Jesus is in a place called the country of the Gadarenes. It's a place that mostly Gentiles lived. It wasn't a Jewish area. It wasn't an area where they observed all the different restrictions and dietary laws and all the things that the Jews did to keep themselves holy and upright. This was a place that where anything went. The Gentiles lived there, and they weren't bound by some of the same laws and restrictions as the Jews were. In a story like this that we just read together, there's all kinds of threads to pull on. We could take time this morning, we could approach this passage of Scripture, and we could come at it from one angle or the other, and we could look at one detail or the other, and we could see that there's a whole lot of different points to be made. And if you've been in church any length of time, you've probably heard somebody preach or teach from this story and this passage. And you know, as well as I do, that we could take time this morning, and we could talk about how people with problems got treated back then, and how people with problems sometimes get treated today. We could talk about the demonic and what we learn about the spirit world from this passage, and there's a lot there, and it's legitimate. We could talk about how the interaction between Jesus and these demons happened, and there's a naming ritual that takes place that was common back then, and it was the way that they would establish authority over one another because they would ask for each other's names and how to identify one another, and we could spend time talking about that. We could even talk about the symbolism of the pigs and the swine and everything that that means, and all of that would be worthwhile and in order. But this morning, I feel in the Holy Ghost that it is best, our time is best spent by continuing 
in the same vein of ministry that we've been in and looking at the example of Jesus and how Jesus would navigate himself in order to approach one person, one at a time. One at a time is the unexpected way that God wants to use each and every one of us to make a difference in our world. It's the example that Jesus lives out time and time again in the Word of God. He goes to people one at a time. You see it whenever he's on his way to Jericho, and he singles out one blind beggar on the roadside, and he heals him of his blindness and changes his life completely and calls him to be a follower of his, and that's exactly what the man does. We see it as Jesus walks through the streets of the city of Jericho and he scans the trees and he finds that one rich man, Zacchaeus, who is the chief tax collector, the one that no one else wanted to be associated with. He'd been outcast and ostracized and Jesus found that one man, Zacchaeus, and called him not off the side of the road, but out of the heights of a tree and said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house today. Jesus' example is one at a time. And in this case, in Mark chapter 5, we see something so important, such a, such a, a, a wonderful example of what Jesus does and how Jesus goes to great lengths just so he can draw in and get close to one person. There are certain dynamics of seeing God at work in the life of one person that have to be appreciated and noticed. Things that Jesus does that if we're going to truly imitate him, that we've got to take notice of how he does what he does if we want to follow in his steps. If you would, take a journey with me to the previous chapter, to Mark chapter 4. And if you'll open your Bible, you can see it for yourself that the scene is unfolding much like it usually does. Mark chapter 4 is a chapter that if you've read it and, and you highlight in your Bible or anything like that, you'll, you'll notice immediately that it's full of parables. There's the parable of the soil and the seed and the sower, and there's all kinds of parables in Mark chapter 4. And that's because in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching a multitude. He's, he's ministering to a multitude, and as he so often does, he's sharing parables, trying to relate to them what the kingdom of God is like. And in Mark chapter 4, verse 1 says, He began to teach again by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to Jesus, so that he got into a boat and sat on it in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. So imagine with me, Jesus is teaching, and a multitude's gathering. And as they gather, Brother Brian, the multitude keeps pressing in, and, and they literally just about push Jesus out into the sea to where the only choice he's got left for safety purposes is to get into the boat and paddle out just a little ways so that it kind of forms a line to where people can't be right up, Brother Ryan, right up in Jesus' face to where no one else can see him, to where he can't even operate, but he's kind of off, off the shoreline just a little bit. And he's starting to teach the multitude. That's the scene. There is such a great crowd that has come out to see Jesus that he has, he's been forced to get into a little boat and to, 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 to kind of jettison off the shore a little bit so he can teach from there. And he teaches multiple parables from that boat. And then at the end of the day, verse 35 of Mark chapter 4 tells us that on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, let's cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, 
they took Jesus along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Verse 37 says, A great windstorm arose when they're out on the sea. And the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care that we're dying here, Jesus? And then Jesus arose. He rebuked the wind. He said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You can see what's going on here before Jesus makes landfall in the country of the Gadarenes. There's crowds that are pressing in on him. Jesus is where he is most popular. He's in his comfort zone. He's in a place where people are clamoring for him. There are no shortage of people that are wanting Jesus to be exactly where he's at. And then at the conclusion of that day, Jesus does something unexpected. He leaves. He leaves and he heads toward a place where non-Jews live, a place called the country of the Gadarenes. This is where the Gentiles live. This is a place that is not like home. This is, by all accounts, a foreign type of place, a place where he is not popular, a place where he is not known. This is a place where Jesus is not in the kind of demand that he's in on the other side of the sea. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot that's going to happen until they make landfall and a demon-possessed man shows up. It's a nasty situation. You can read a different, more modern translation of Mark chapter 5, like I'm going to do right now in the New Living Translation, and you can really get a picture of exactly what the disciples and Jesus encountered when they rolled up to the country of the Gadarenes. It says that a man possessed by an evil spirit came up out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he always snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Everyone went out of their way to avoid this guy. Jesus went out of his way to get close to him. If we would imitate Jesus Christ and follow him, what I'm describing this morning is a necessary component of every saint's and every disciple's life and ministry. When everybody else wants to take every effort to avoid this guy. Jesus goes out of his way to get close. Jesus left the shores of popularity and sailed off into the territory of the unclean. He didn't know, he he did it knowing that there wasn't going to be a cheering crowd waiting for him in the country of the Gadarenes. He wasn't going to receive any compensation. There weren't going to be any dignitaries there to impress. And he wasn't going to get a pat on the back. But it was worth it to Jesus. It was worth it to Jesus 
to leave behind the comfort of popularity. It was worth it to Jesus to go through the storm that he went through to get to where he was going. It was worth it to Jesus to possibly miss out on whatever was going to happen back home in the comfort zone in Galilee that day because one soul always tilts the scales. If that's how far I have to go to get close, then that's what I will do, Jesus said, because one person is worth it. Look at what the demonic spirits did to this man. The stress in this story is not on who the spirit is, but more of the details are spent on what the spirit was doing to the man, how the spirit affected him. He'd become antisocial. He'd become self-destructive. The power of evil was possessing this man. He was out of control. The spirit, spirits that were inhabiting this man and possessing him were doing what demonic spirits always, what the adversary always tries to do to people. He was trying to reduce this person down to an animal status, to the level of a base creature. The ad, and, and, and hear me right now, grasp this. This is what the adversary wants to do. You can go back to the book of Genesis and you can see it. The adversary always tries to strip away the image of God on a person. Because the image of God is what makes us human. To be human is not, your humanity is not in itself sinful. God created mankind and said that it was very good. It's sin. It's rebellion against God that corrupts us and causes us to be in a place where we need to be fixed and we need the intervention of God on our life. But you simply being a human being, is, 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 there's nothing wrong with that on its own. And the adversary, even in the garden, slithered up to Eve and to Adam and started working out a plan to strip them of the image of God that was on them to start to shatter the imprint of God's nature that was on Adam and Eve. And that's what the adversary was trying to do with this man that was hiding out in the tombs and howling at all hours of the day and night. The adversary had taken possession of him so much so that he was completely out of control. And the adversary was trying to reduce him and tamp him down into a place of a base creature, stripping away his humanity, stripping away, making him forget who he was as a person, that he was made in the image of God, that he was valuable. And I need to go on the record today and let somebody know, you're made in the image of God. You're valuable. Don't listen to the voice of the adversary that would try to convince you that you're less than or that you're not human or that you're somehow some lower class. God placed his identity on you when he created you even as a human being. And God wants to restore it with a new birth experience. Whatever is broken, whatever is sinful, whatever is wrong and corrupted about your nature, God wants to restore it, and he has a plan called the new birth where you can be born again of the water and of the Spirit. 
Come on, I need to park there for just a second because that's the most important thing of all. You need to repent of your sins. That means acknowledging that where I'm at's not right. And I need to turn away from those things. But repentance, even though it is tremendous and there's something powerful that happens when we repent, repentance has never been the end point. There's always been more to God's plan. And God doesn't just want you to repent of your sins and start going a different direction because you might wander off and forget who you are. But he wants to stamp your identity with a name. It's the name of Jesus. That's why we're baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. The scripture leaves no room that there is salvation apart from being baptized in the name of Jesus. And the scripture promises that when we're obedient to God's plan of salvation, that we will be filled with the gift of God's spirit, speaking in other tongues. God has a plan to restore you today. God has something that can counter the attack and tactics of the enemy that would try to strip away your humanity and make you think like you are less than. And it's the new birth experience. The adversary is doing the very same thing with this man in the country of the Gadarenes that he will do to us sometimes. This man was out of control. And the adversary will try to make someone feel like they don't have the choice or the power to decide anymore. You've heard me say it many times. One of the greatest lies of the adversary that he will tell a person is that this is just how it has to be. I'm trapped and I have no way out. You do have a way out. There's somebody that has rolled up on the shoreline of your confusion and your chaos, and his name is Jesus today. His name is Jesus, and there's no amount of demons in hell that can keep you away from being a worshiper of Jesus Christ. There's no one that, there's no weapon that's formed against you that can prosper when you make up your mind that I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm not content with my life the way that it has been. This isn't the way that it has to be. I bind the voice of the enemy in my life that tries to convince me and tell me that I'm trapped that this is just how I have to be and who I have to be. That's a lie from the pits of hell. The, the, the God of the universe has his eye on you. He has a plan for you. He wants to restore you. This man was in so little control of himself that he couldn't keep from hurting himself. You ever been there? You know somebody who's there? So out of control that they can't even stop from self-destructing. No one was in the tombs with this man. He was, he was possessed by demons, demonic spirits. There was no one else up in the tombs with him. No other human being was doing this to him. He was howling and cutting himself, screeching, running around naked, exposed to the elements living in burial chambers and in tombs. But when he saw Jesus from afar, verse 6 says, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Now, you need to recognize this morning that that's not the human being speaking. That's the demonic speaking through him. 
The demons recognize who Jesus is. And they speak out because they know what's fixing to happen. That phrase that they use, what, what are you to me and me to you? When you see that, that phrase used in other places in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it's almost always a setting where there's hostility that's expected, hostility that's expressed. And it almost seems to mean, it's almost like an idiom, that they would, like, a, like a, a way of saying something that they would use back then. And they would say, it's almost like saying, what do we have to do with each other? Jesus, the way we would say it, if we were saying it today, is we would probably say it something like, why don't you mind your own business? That's a little hostile. Sister Viola, if I tell you to mind your own business, she may be getting into my business. I may, everything I say to her might be factual, but me saying it like I just said it is hostile, Right? Like, I'm, if there wasn't a fight getting picked before, now we're fixing to fight. Now we're pushing each other's buttons. Mind your own business. My daughters say it all the time to each other. It's something we don't entirely grow out of as adults. We tell people that sometimes when we feel like somebody's getting a little too close. Whenever somebody's encroaching a little, like, oh, don't you mind your own business a little bit. That's what the demon said to Jesus. And that's the very same tactic that the adversary will use on a person who is sent into the life of somebody else to make a difference. The adversary, whether he actually verbalizes it to you or not, he will cause you to think that I am out of my lane and I just need to mind my business. It's not my business. And don't hear me and think that I'm advocating for being obnoxiously into other people's business this morning and being a busybody and being nosy because that's not what we're talking about right now. But we're talking about when the Lord directs you into contact with somebody, somebody that's hurting, somebody that has questions, somebody that's confused, whatever the case may be, the adversary will drop a thought into your mind and make you think, you know what, I'm encroaching, a l- I'm a little bit over the line here. Maybe I just need to mind my own business. The demons in Mark chapter 5 had taken possession of this man. This man was held captive by these demons. That's what the adversary does. He, holds, he takes people captive and he holds them captive. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read the little chunk of Scripture to you because here's what it says. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God will perhaps grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. That's to us. Those who would be servants of the Most High God, 
are tasked with this, that we, we don't have to quarrel, but to be gentle, to be able to teach, to be patient, humbly correcting where there's mistakes and where there's offenses, so that perhaps God will grant them repentance. Perhaps you'll see a turnaround take place, and so that they may know the truth and may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. When a person gets too close to someone that the devil is holding captive, the adversary will tell you, this isn't your business. That's what the demons tried to do with Jesus in Mark chapter 5. Now, if you've still got your Bible open, you will see how Jesus reacts to that. He doesn't. Jesus doesn't even dignify that with a response. That's the approach that you and I need to take. I'm trying to equip somebody here today because somebody that's sitting under the sound of my voice this morning, you've got one person in your life, you've got two people in your life that the Lord wants to do something in their life, but you are being held captive too because the adversary has convinced you that it's none of your business. And you need to do, we need to imitate Jesus here. Jesus doesn't even dignify it with a response. Instead, Jesus goes right to it. Verse 8 says, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? The adversary doesn't realize, and what the adversary didn't realize in Mark chapter 5 is that Jesus, by trying to tell Jesus this is none of your business, what the adversary failed to realize is that Jesus was there on business. It wasn't a pleasure cruise on that boat ride across the sea. It wasn't a day off. It wasn't the weekend. Jesus wasn't going on vacation. It wasn't an accident that he was there. Jesus was there on business. Jesus came that day for one. He came to deliver that man and his mind from the possession and torment of the devil and to restore his humanity, to pull back together the image of God that Satan was breaking down with each passing day in those tombs and burial chambers. And it's time this morning for the church to keep on about our father's business. When the adversary tries to convince you that your lost loved ones aren't any of your business, that your workplace isn't any of your business, that the spiritual condition of people in your life is none of your business, you need to remind him that you are there on the Lord's business, that it, you don't even have to dignify that kind of nonsense with a response. You can say, what is going on here? And start to take stock of the situation and then deal with it in the Holy Ghost. Anywhere that sin is breaking down God's image, that's where we need to be sailing towards. It would be remarkably easy for Jesus and for us to stay where the popularity is, to stay where the comfort is, to stay where we're in demand and people want to hear from us. But wherever there's uncleanness, and wherever there's brokenness, and wherever sin is breaking down the image of God, that's where we need to be sailing towards. Any life that is clouded by sin and shame and guilt, the church isn't going to avoid that. 
we're going to roll into town and engage it. That's why we need to stay prayed up. We need to stay studied up. We need to be emboldened in the spirit. And we need to be on our Father's business. Because every time you walk into the room, there ought to be an echo of that day that Jesus made landfall in the country of the Gadarenes. Every time you go onto your workplace or your campus or your home or wherever you might end up, if there's any demons there, they ought to have deja vu when you roll up because you'll be there on the authority of your heavenly father. I'm talking this morning about going far to get close. How far will you go to get close to a soul who is crying out to a soul, a person that's locked into a self-destructive cycle that seems to have no hope. Let me build your faith this morning and tell you about Jesus. There was a whole lot of people in the country of the Gadarenes who weren't interested in Jesus. Jesus landed there, and there was not a multitude waiting to receive him. He started operating in the miraculous, and a crowd formed. He cast demons into the swine, and the swine ran off a cliff into the sea at the cost of the townspeople. I mean, those pigs belong to somebody. And even though a man who had once been enslaved and bound, even though he was now free, the people said this, they saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. There'd been a miracle that had taken place. There'd been salvation, there'd been deliverance, but it had cost them something in the process. Jesus' ministry to someone else cost them their own resources. And they asked Jesus to leave. Verse 17 says, they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. Can you imagine Asking Jesus to leave? It's hard to fathom. Jesus is irresistible and valuable to those who know that they need him. But to the comfortable, Jesus is inconvenient and expendable. But to anybody that actually needs him and knows they need him, he's irresistible and valuable. And when we put Jesus at the front, Sister Bree, if you would come to the keys. When we put Jesus at the front of everything we do, there is an irresistible quality to this message. When we put Jesus at the front of everything we do, and we talk about his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead and what that means for each and every one of us, that there's a plan that I can live in that mirrors the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's the repentance of my sins. It's baptism in the name of Jesus for the remission of my sins. And it's the infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. When we put Jesus at the front of everything we do, Let's just look at what John chapter 12 says. This is Jesus himself saying, 
Now this, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. This Jesus said, signifying by what death he would die. That's the Jesus we serve. Jesus is willing and able to draw everybody to him. Can I tell you what's been happening the past few weeks? I've said this to a number of people. I'll just, I'll just lay all the cards out. There's times when there's, there's things I know that we need to pray. And there's things that we know that we need to pray, ways that we pray. Sometimes we forget to do it. Sometimes I forget to do it. I'll have a particular method of praying that for whatever reason, it just slips off my radar. About a month ago, I was in here on a Wednesday morning and I was praying and and it just occurred to me. I thought, and I just, the Holy Ghost just checked me because I hadn't been praying this one particular way that I usually pray. I hadn't done it in a while. And so I started to do it that morning. My prayer was something to the effect of, and my method of praying was something to the effect of, God, if there's people in our community, if there's people in our area that are truly hungry and thirsty for you, send them to us. God, if there's someone that's already born again, living for you, that just relocates into the area and is looking for a home church, send them to us. If there's someone in our community that has an experience with you of any level, if they've been born again, but for whatever reason, life has just pulled them away from the body for a time, Lord, send them to us. Send them home. (laughs) And in the past few weeks, it's almost just like an angel has gone through Butler County, and through our community, and he's been nudging people, quickening people. Not that, not that we've quit efforts to reach people, but we haven't gone out of our way to to make phone calls to some people, and to to to. to but they've just they've just on their own. The Lord is reaching for people. The Lord is doing it one at a time. The Lord's reaching for people. He's reaching for families. He's reaching for households. And when we put Jesus at the front of everything we do, he says, I'm perfectly willing to draw all men, all people to me. And to those who know that we need him, he is irresistible. There is no tomb that can hold you in. There are no chains of guilt and shame that can keep you bound. The pain of your past isn't enough to keep you away from Jesus. Can we stand all over this place this morning? The Holy Ghost is going to minister in this place right now because the word has gone forth and his word never returns void. Can we lift up our hands all over this room right now and just respond to the word of God and to the work of the spirit that's happening right now in this room? As they begin to play and we begin to go into a time of worship and response, these altars are open and the front of this room is open and I would that you would make a move in faith right now 
toward the front of this building or toward any place that you can begin to respond to God. And if you need God to work in your life today, if Jesus and the promise of what he can do in your life is irresistible to you, if you truly know that I'm a person that needs him, I'm in need of him, why don't you make a move right now and take a step of faith towards one of these altars areas? You might be battling the demonic right now, but you can be delivered. If you need healing in your body, the healer is in the house today. If you need peace in your mind, the one who can calm the storm will calm the storm so that he can get to you. If you need forgiveness for your sin, the sin forgiver is in the house and he can wash away your sins and make you whiter than snow. Wash away every stain, every shame, every guilt. Come on, we're in the presence of one right now who's willing to go an awfully long ways in order just to get close to you. Who is it in your life? Who is it in your life right now that God's sending you far, far, maybe out of your way, but he's got his eye on them. He's wanting to do a work in their life. You need to intercede for them right now because the angel of the Lord has been moving through our community and the angel of the Lord has been responding to names that are called out in prayer and in faith. And if you'll start to call out the name of a loved one, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord will move into their home. We'll go to where they're at right now and start to nudge them. Come on.